mother's world came crashing down in five words. Your daughter has cerebral palsy. Sarah shares her inspirational story of coming to terms with a child's life-changing diagnosis and how determined mothers can create miracles and help their child defy all expectations. Hear how this mum moved mountains to raise $75,000 in just six months for an operation only available in the USA. She believed this operation could be the answer, but even she didn't expect what happened to her daughter as she boarded the plane home. Having written a book about her daughter's experience, she's gone on to create changes in the system and services to make sure other mothers raising children with disabilities in the UK get the support she wished she'd had. Welcome to the Empower podcast for mums in business. We are women building a business we love while making a home for the ones we love more than anything. I'm your host, Nicola Hewlin. Join me as I talk to seemingly ordinary women just like me and you as they share their extraordinary stories and inspirational advice to bounce back even stronger from challenging times and thrive in business, motherhood and life. So I'm delighted to welcome to today's episode, Sarah Johnston. Hi, Sarah. Hi, Nick. How are you? I'm good. Thank you. And thank you so much for joining us on another Bounce Back interview to share your incredible, incredible story of facing challenges, adversity, which I am sure that any mother, any parent is really going to relate to, empathize with in some way, shape or form. Let's start there. Please share with our audience your story of facing challenges in life and, and how you, and it's not just you, is it? It's your, your family, your daughter, Dana, how you've bounced back. Gosh, um, well, I, I suppose it all starts to when, it, when I discovered I was, I was carrying my first child and the excitement that, you know, as any new mum to be reading all the books and getting all the nursery ready and, and all that kind of build up. And then at 13 months, everything was going fine at 13 months old and suddenly told that your child has a disability. And it was a a shock. Um, And all the expectations, all the plans, all the all the lovely kind of dreams and, 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 and scenarios you have in your mind are suddenly disappeared in that moment. And what you you're, what you were used to suddenly doesn't seem relevant anymore. All those books don't seem relevant anymore. And there was friends that actually weren't in the same position as you. And you had no one to, to turn to. And I suppose looking back, it was, what do we do? What, what, what who do we go to? Who do we speak with? And... You know, that must have been such a shock because Dana was already 13 months old without, without sort of knowing. Absolutely. Like, what, what a bombshell. And yeah. just for, the, you know, for, for the audience, what, what was the diagnosis that you were given when Dana was 13? 
So when she was 13 months uh, 13 old, months old, yes, yeah, sorry, yeah. 13 so, months. That's all right, that's all right. <laughs> um, actually, there was another pivotal moment when she was 13 years old, and we'll move ah. on to that in a second, which was quite ironic, really. So her diagnosis, which we had no, um, uh, no evidence, no, no kind of uh, little signs that we could say, yes, that's, that's, I can see it there. Um, she was diagnosed with cerebral palsy, and that was we didn't have anybody in the family who had a disability we didn't have anybody in the family who actually knew anybody with this diagnosis and so we turned to google and you can imagine it was just filled with so many stories and unbeknown and now if i looking back i didn't know there was such a diverse range of cerebral palsy it's not every child is so different yet right. what i was faced with was these really shocking images of suddenly looking at your child your beautiful child who was giggling and laughing and smiling and really interacting with you who was quite a chubby baby. I mean, she was seven, seven when she was born. She, so she wasn't, you know, a little dainty thing. Um, beautiful, curly, blonde hair. You know, she was gorgeous, absolutely gorgeous. She still is. To suddenly look at these images and actually say, how can this be my child when they're older? Really? No, you got it wrong. And it was that case of, no, you've got it wrong. You've got the wrong child. So we went to Harley Street to get a second opinion because obviously they don't know what they're talking about. <laughs> a mum's instinct is right. And Harley Street, your child has cerebral palsy. So it was, a, it was another blow, yet it was, a, it was in that moment, it was taking stock. And I think this is what's allowed me to bounce back and this is what's allowed me to handle this whole different world the way I have it was about taking away your emotions and actually not being a mum and saying okay we have a situation really what do we need to do in order to help in order to support in order to give her the best possible chance to lead an independent, independent life and also to educate ourselves because I, I didn't have a clue about the terminology. I didn't have a clue about what this meant for her, but also for us as a family. And remember, she was my firstborn. I've, I've got nothing to compare yeah. and I've got no Reference. one. Absolutely. Absolutely. So it was, it, it, it was hard and I was working in management at the time as well. So I was also, you know, I'd just gone back to work. I'd had a year maternity leave and, you know, the nursery was set up for her to go to. Uh, she was having, uh, uh, she was being taken care of uh, a couple of days by nanny as well. So it was all in place. Everything was in place. And then suddenly you've got this, whole different world that you suddenly have to get used to and incorporate in what you know to be you know going to be different for the future wow there were other challenges or uh, how can i put it yeah challenges you took on because you've written you've written a book haven't you dana dana's walk talking Correct. about this whole journey yeah and you talk about the incredible fundraising that you took on around this. Tell, tell the story about this 
as part of your education, you found out about this operation that, that yeah. could be done, but not on the NHS here. Uh, yeah, tell, absolutely. Tell that story about what you, what you then ha- went through on top of everything that you were adjusting yeah. to. I think, I, I think the whole, you know, as we started to educate ourselves about what the disability was and how it affected, was going to affect her in the future, there was always, I was always researching, I was always asking the NHS, what else can we do? What else can we do? And it was always nothing, nothing, nothing. And it was just the standard Botox, which is a procedure given to um freeze the the muscles that are aren't working you know to allow other muscles to work really it's a real it's a sticky plaster so i was always asking what else can we do what else can we do and through research really and and by this point she was 13 years old so she was already starting high school and she was confined to a wheelchair at this point Having gone through Botox, we'd taken her to Hungary for conductive education, and that's a, a, in, in intensive therapy, really. So we'd gone over there um, a, a lot of a lot of years and spent months out there as well. And we came across through conversation, literally with another parent, this operation that. Uh, Dr. Parks, who is a, a chief neurosurgeon in St. Louis in America, had been performing for over 20 years, please, wow. 20 years with uh, the highest possible success rate, uh, because every, every operation has a, has a risk, doesn't it? Mm. But every, it, literally, there is so many success stories and I approached the NHS and I said, why, why didn't you tell me about this? Oh, it's not proven. And yet what I was hearing and what I was seeing was something completely different. And there were one or two British, British parents that had gone over and more and more were starting to be inquisitive and more and more starting to find out about this operation. And at that time, I'd found out that there were two neurosurgeons in the UK that were performing this operation, not as to the degree that obviously Dr. Park was doing it, yet they were doing it on much uh, younger children. And bearing in mind, Dana was 13 now. So we wrote to one of the neurosurgeons and he was just wonderful. He wrote back and he said, and they had observed Dr. Park as well. So they had flown to America and, uh, he said, my advice would be go to Dr. Park because we, you know, we were only doing it with younger children. So Mm. what we did was researched and researched and researched. We'd filled out an application. We'd sent off videos. The physio helped me uh, film Dana prior, obviously, to see how she was. So at this point, she was in a wheelchair and her her prognosis pre-finding out about this operation wheelchair bound yeah wheelchair bound so in my view if the operation wasn't successful she would be in a wheelchair if the operation was successful well you know who knew okay so we filled out the application we sent it off we sent the videos off everything went off to dh via dhl so it was secure and um dr park assessed dana obviously with everything that we sent off a panel had agreed that she would be an excellent candidate gave her a prognosis of independence in terms of what the expectation he had on her 
and there were different levels of uh, grading for uh, cerebral palsy. One is kind of minimal and there's maybe a slight limp to five being a quadriplegia. So Dana was diagnosed pre this operation at three and after she was diagnosed at two. Um, so the result, basically we flew to America. I'd raised 75,000 pounds in six months. Seven, hang on, just repeat that. 75,000 pounds in six in months. six months. The NHS thought I was, well, they didn't agree, shall we put it that way, um, what an incredible uh, what accomplishment. Now, I'm sure I'm wondering and others be, how do you raise 75 grand in six months? I've got to tell you, Nick, I'm not a fundraiser. Okay. That is not what I do for a living. But you all. are a mother on a mission. I am a mother <laughs> on a mission. And like I said before, when we had the diagnosis, it was the same principles that applied. Okay. We've got a job to do. How do we do it? Mm. So I'm very lucky that I put out an SOS and people wanted to help. That's amazing. We did, um, you know, <laughs> we were the ones that stood in the shopping centers with buckets yeah. and the big banners. And mm. we were explaining to people about the operation and the quality of life that would, would it would give Dana. We, we use this, our local shopping center was brilliant because they have this particular center has uh, three floors mm-hmm. and over a bank holiday weekend over Easter, we took over the whole that is amazing was Dana with you yeah she was she was around so she was wheeling herself so people could see her we had an easter egg hunt oh we had zumba classes going on I mean it was it was manic we had shopping you know in the in the supermarkets where you fill the bags up Mm -hmm. as well so we had Mm -hmm. volunteers with t-shirts of of Dana's walk-on what an an incredible achievement and it was hard work (laughs) it was hard work and that tell us about how that hard work right you know Dana did have you know you successfully raised that money Dana did go to the states and have that operation and how, how did that change life for Dana and, and for you as a family? Gosh, uh, that pivotal moment changed everything because when you have your child having major surgery, it was spinal surgery, so it wasn't, it wasn't a little procedure. You do worry and you think, have I made the right choice? That, you know, ultimately, Dana was 13 and it was her choice. Mm. And um, she made the decision you know, it, it, because she was, she was a, a teenager. Mm. If she didn't want it, then I, I wasn't, in, it wasn't for me to push her. Um, I, I was pleased that she wanted this operation. So we gave her independence and that independence allowed her to come out of the wheelchair for good. We still have it just in case for good. She flew back. I treated her to first class. She walked on the plane coming back from America with, with crutches on her own. Wow. What an incredible moment that must have been for her. The captain came out. Yeah. And everybody around her. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I thought, my God, this is the first time she's actually walked on her own. And this is after the operation as well. Wow. Yeah. How incredible. Mm. 
I think it's important to say that, you know, you touched on this earlier. There could be parents out there with children with cerebral palsy or who know children with cerebral palsy within the family. Graham and I, my amazing uh, life partner, Graham, between us, we have four children. And Jenny, Graham's youngest, has cerebral palsy. And there, um, so I understand that there are different types and that different treatments will apply to different types of cerebral palsy and that this operation is relevant to a particular type of cerebral palsy. Right. And that just so for the benefit of the audience, if, if you're interested, the name of this operation is, is okay. what? The name of the operation is called Selective Dorsal Rhizotomy. And what it does in a nutshell is reduce or eliminate the spasticity because that yes yeah, so that's different there's there's a type where you get that spasticity in the muscles yeah. and there's a different different type of cerebral palsy um i think they call it is it altoid movements i think yeah um, there, there's different terminology different terminology yeah. and, and types so for anybody listening who's thinking oh my goodness that is amazing what incredible it is and um, if you want to research it, that's the name of the operation and it, and it relates to certain types. Absolutely. And I just want to say also that, you know, I've been, I've been uh, um, amongst uh, a few parents and working with neurosurgeons and NHS England and NICE as well. And a few years ago, the NHS commissioned this as, as an NHS service for children between the ages of three to nine to wow. have this on the NHS. So it is now a commission service and I'm very proud to have been part of that Definitely. to bring it in the NHS. And I think, yes, you've got to go through the assessment and yes, you've got to fit the criteria. Whereas if you went to America, there isn't an age limit, really. They perform this on adults. I think it's a huge step forward um, because it happened in such a small space of time in, in comparison to other things. Um, I think it's wonderful now that children have got the opportunity to have this operation. Amazing. So where is Dana? How old is Dana now? What's she up to? Right. So um, it's, it, her school years were really, really challenging in terms of the expectation, especially when she was in a wheelchair that perhaps uh, certain, certain um, dreams that she may have had were not quite what she would want in terms of what the teacher's expectations of her were and even the profession, health professionals as well. Despite everybody's views, uh, Dana has now completed four years studying law at Canterbury University and she graduates this year. Amazing. And she lives independently. Um, well, congratulations, Dana. That's so awesome. It's phenomenal. So I would, uh, you know, for any parent out there, any child out there, do not be limited by your disability. And, and parents do not use the disability as an excuse for your child not being able to achieve. Every child has a dream. And Dana's dream was to go to university. And that was something that I encouraged her. The teachers wanted to lower her expectation. She was told by a head teacher that she was lucky to be in sixth form. And she achieved three distinction stars in sixth wow. form. So, <laughs> you know, the determination and the self-belief 
that a child has has to be supported by the parents who are encouraging them to achieve mm. to be the best they can be and the disability is is nothing it's a word don't use that as an excuse and that's a big part of the work that you do don't you you have your mm. facebook community cp lounge the confident parent lounge yeah and um you're big on giving the the parents the support that they need because they're the rock the glue the the catalyst the the energy everything that feeds into raising that child and supporting their dreams and you support the parents and and I want to give a big shout out for the work that you do in in Thank supporting you. parents particularly mothers raising children with disabilities not just cerebral palsy yes um, all, all, yeah. all disabilities yeah what an incredible story. And, and, and I want to ask you, looking back, you know, as you said, your, your philosophy in that bombshell moment, I can't even begin to imagine, was to, in your mind, say, right, okay, detach yourself. This is the situation mm. we're dealing with. This is it. Such an incredibly challenging thing to do in that moment, because we don't have the benefit of hindsight of how this um, how this is all going to unfold and, exactly and that this would be the story with this um, incredible uplifting ending but when we're in the thick of it at the beginning we have no idea looking back with this beauty of hindsight you know what would you say what would you say have been the key things for you that have that have helped you and helped Dana and helped the family get through that time get through those challenges i think you know resilience springs to mind but i think resilience oh God, tenfold really because everybody is resilient and what happens when you're down so down and you know i i went through depression and you know and also for my husband it, it was his little girl and the range of emotions that men have are different yet they're similar to what women are going through and of course the guilt and everything that you carry as a mother because you've carried this child for nine months and you you blame yourself is it something that I could have you know is it something that I I did and, and, and I was teetotal or you know I didn't drink I didn't do anything like that so I think also the belief actually that Dana was not going to be a statistic I think that belief to know that my child will achieve whatever it is that they will achieve. And also, uh, you know, uh, my husband and I didn't go to university. So it wasn't a case of I want my child to go to university because we didn't go. It was the case of I wanted her to find who she was as a person. And that for me was really important so that that was the reason for university in my mind of course for Dana it was it was to follow her dream of, of being a lawyer and actually you know living independently because she'd been shielded at home she had no social life really everything was done for her at home um, so it was really, you know, it was a, a going into the pack of lines then really when she went over. Mm. But I, I think it was the belief we both had as parents that she could achieve anything she wanted to achieve. And as parents, we're both uh, of the mindset that you, you can't hide behind your labels, your excuses and 
you know, blame others. It's about you taking responsibility for you. Um, and, and, and this must have obviously had a knock on effect for Dana because obviously she's living her life and actually quite successful at navigating and doing the things over the four year period. Incredible. If you were to go back to the beginning of that journey, knowing what you know now, would there be anything you'd do differently? I think what saddens me, Nick, though, is hearing from mothers now, experiencing the same things as Hyatt experienced all those years ago. And Dana's now 22, Mm. okay? And it's still happening now. When you say it's still happening, uh, things, can you... Give, okay, so give me an uh, example of what sort of things that of course. So uh, at point of diagnosis, it's very much you know right. This is what we're going to do for the child. What happens to the mother or the parents? Got the parents you. are not yeah. really taken into account. The focus is on the on and, and quite rightly and understandably, the support and everything. The child is the priority. Yeah. So I'm hearing the. And what about the support for the parents? There's nothing there. And you're very much cocooned into this um, pathway of, you know, appointments and uh, different therapies and very much tunnel visioned in terms of this is what you need for your child. Being told, Mm. in effect, um, what's best for your child and not having that dialogue and that, hold on a minute, what does this mean? And, and let me process it. And actually, as a mother, you lose your sense of who you are as a woman. And actually, your self-care, um, you know, the stress and the, and the kind of overwhelmness of day-to-day life suddenly becomes huge because you've got this child with additional needs that needs looking after. And that's your number one priority. Mm, absolutely um, so and I, how do you manage how do you balance and especially if parents are working um i was working i was fortunate enough to balance the two but yet i was hiding behind my professional label as well because it was right i'm competent i'm i'm you know efficient i know what i'm doing and you know being a manager you're you you've got a level of responsibility when you're managing staff so i was hiding behind that but i every piece of me was starting to get lost all those years so I my advice would be really step back and actually just reflect on what it is you are feeling what it is that's going through your mind in that particular moment and don't get lost in this pathway that you will be on um, for a very long time yeah and I and I guess that that whole dynamic it's is relevant as parents not you know the the example of our finding out our child has a disability or raising children with disabilities is one example but there i can imagine a whole bunch of scenarios where there is something that is negatively impacting our children and we want to make sure they're okay first and foremost it's it's every parent's immediate response and i'm thinking of things like going through separation and divorce for example 84 percent of families i I saw this report and this was a few years ago so the percentage is probably higher 
are non-traditional family units. Yeah. They've been through some kind of separation, divorce, yeah. fusion. They're blended, yes. Blended, yeah. yeah. I like fusion fa- Fusion family. We talk about, um, you know, the Japanese art of taking broken pots and putting them back together yeah. with, with gold. And fusion families can be so beautiful. We yeah. have, I'm, I'm blessed today with Graham, we have this amazing fusion family. But in that moment when things are breaking and we see the impact on our children and yeah. we, want to, we want to make things better, we want to put it right and it becomes all consuming and our needs, our emotional needs and mm. go completely out the window. Yeah. So I can, I can imagine that that's, that dynamic of a mother wanting to be all in to make things okay for her children and forgetting herself in the process is it, mm. we can relate to that in so many different ways. absolutely but i think i think also um on top of that communication is key i think it's communicating with ourselves and understanding ourselves but also communicating with our children and our partners and our families because you go through this enormous journey that what your it's a bit, bit like covid really what you look what your life was like in january is very different mm. to what your life is like now yeah and you know and i think i think the word victim comes up a lot and you you do say why me why has this happened to me it's not fair and you know and that's a normal kind of when you go through the change you know the kind of the grief model mm-hmm. you, you do go through that and the seven you know five or seven stages of grief whichever you're familiar with there is that sense of denial at first you know and then anger and I think parents if parents understand that that that's a normal reaction it's a normal emotion and that's what I didn't understand I didn't understand that the process I was feeling was normal normal yeah it was completely normal um, and I think that, for me, would have been the number one key mm. to actually be speaking to somebody at that time. Because when I wrote the book and, and parents and professionals were reading them and the professionals were saying, I didn't realise, I didn't realise that the parents we were seeing were going through this. Incredible. Because they only saw that child. And yeah. yet the parents were saying, you've described me. You've described exactly how I was feeling. And you think, wow, that is incredible, isn't it? And I'm thinking about the title of this interview series, Bounce Back. In you know that that has something kind of quite immediate about it. You know, you drop a ball and it bounces straight back up. And actually, your story and a, a lot of the stories that are that I'm recording through these interviews. There is this bounce back. Ultimately, people bounce back. They come out the other side. But there is this, like you say, a journey and a process with stages that that we go through. It is Mm. not this straight line bouncing back. And you do bounce backwards as well. And I think, I think there is, you know, that truthful, that candid conversation that needs to happen that, you know, firstly, you have to accept and acknowledge how you're feeling and it's okay. You know, it's okay. It's not okay. To be not okay. To be okay. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. Whoever you are. And actually, you know, remember you are a role model for your child and your child is looking up to you and the language you use, the words you use are so powerful mm-hmm. that that actually has a 
a knock-on effect on how your child behaves as well. So I would say watch watch how you speak to your child as yeah. well and the conversations going on around you. It's challenging, isn't it? Because I, I can imagine, and, and from my personal experience when I've been in periods of adversity, is finding that balance between we want to protect our children and put on the brave face, the poker face. In the UK, we're very good at the whole stiff upper lip and soldier on Carry regardless. On, yeah. and, and, and we do ultimately want to protect our children from our pain. However, there is that healthy balance to be found of actually being honest and showing our children this is not taboo and you two can role modeling. It's so, okay and important to talk about how we're feeling because that's part of the healing journey and finding that balance is is, yeah, is a real challenge is. and i think it's important to have those conversations early on you know because there's never a right time to be starting to talk about their disability mm. and actually you know what i found challenging was the transition between child and adult mm -hmm. because suddenly when Dana went to university, it wasn't the case of they talked to parents, not like school, and you were involved in everything. Suddenly, she's an adult, and they, she's responsible for her own disability and all the medical terminology. So it's about empowering your children and actually allowing them to be part of the discussion around their disability yeah. and actually including them in the things that they want to achieve in life, if where they want to go to further their education education where they want to go to work and it's actually building that network together you know but I, I'm a big believer in actually you know for for teenagers and for young people to have LinkedIn and actually to to start building those professional relationships you know the, when you're in sixth form and when you're starting to kind of go into the workplace having that different outlook um, and you've got to have those conversations and yeah. you've got to prepare them like you would any other child really Absolutely. so for me the disability is is something that's part of them it's who they are it's not what they use as an excuse and definitely yeah. for parents not to use as an excuse. I feel I'm mindful that we're coming towards the end of this particular interview, but what you've just said there almost could open up a whole new chapter of discussion. I could sit here for hours. It makes me think, so my son, Liam, who's 17 now, at nine, he was diagnosed with ADHD and um, Tourette's syndrome chronic anxiety and they're all interrelated and linked and the reason I just thought of him is when you were saying about empowering our children and sometimes there, there, there can be a certain school of thought or people who shy away from labels and diagnosis and personally I found it very empowering mm. for Liam to get that diagnosis because with mm. it comes understanding, Absolutely. comes a set of language and terminology, yeah. comes that understanding of, okay, this is normal for yeah. me. Yeah. These are the challenges that uh, the additional yeah. challenges I have and gives him a tool. So there are things like medication and um, adjustments that can be mm. made in the educational setting mm. that, that wouldn't happen without a diagnosis. But to have him included in those consultations and in those conversations mm. and to let him make those choices about mm. what medication 
the medications there you choose it's a tool for you it can be so empowering and i know this is we're entering a whole new kind of topic of conversation but i do think it's really important to to look for the ways to empower them and sometimes in wanting to protect them we can disempower unwittingly absolutely and also you you have to allow them to be who they are as well because you don't want to suppress and 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 have that fear and that lack of lack of confidence or lack of self-worth or you know questioning who they are Mm. you know and I think that has to be done from a very very young age and you have to have those conversations throughout awesome listen we've come to the end of our time but hasn't it flown I know I know it goes so quickly I do want to ask you one last thing we like to wrap up each interview by asking our expert guests to leave our audience with a bounce back invitation. So what we mean by that is if you think about our audience for anybody who's going through a tough time, facing a challenge, and we're recording this during COVID outbreak, let's face it, most of us are experiencing challenges, pressures, adversity in some way, shape or form. So we'd like you to leave our audience either with a question, a bounce back kind of question for them to reflect on or a bounce back challenge. And then we have this hashtag bounce back stronger that our audience can kind of share their response. Or if you've given them a challenge to, to, to work on, they can share the results of that challenge for them. What would be your bounce back invitation for anybody out there who, who, who really wants to bounce back? Okay, so I've got two actually, if okay, I may. Good. Yeah. So the first is forgiveness. So what or who do you need to forgive in order to bounce back, move forward? Love it. Do what you need to do. Mm-hmm. So what well, forgiveness could be you need to forgive yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, it doesn't mean you agree, disagree. It's about putting that to rest and actually accepting it for what it is. And the second one, I'd say, what story are you telling yourself? What do you play on a loop? Awesome. So think about that and and change it. Very powerful. So there you have it, guys. There's your bounce back invitation, a double invitation from Sarah. And uh, we'd love to hear your thoughts on that, on the hashtag bounce back stronger on Facebook hashtag. Sarah, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank um, you. We'll pop all the details of the work that you do and your support community in the show notes for people who want to find out more about how you support parents of children with disabilities. And thank you so much for sharing yours and Dana's story. Incredible. Thanks again. Thank you. Thanks, Nick. Thank you for listening to the Empower podcast for mums in business. And thanks goes to our podcast series sponsors, Bounce Life, insurance to protect you, your business and your family. To get your free startup and business growth kickstart guide and to find out about our Empower community, go to empower.global.